On this episode of Blue 58, the Packers are back from the bye week, and so are we. We're a week away from the trade deadline, too. Do the Packers make a deal to bring in some help? Is this a new era of trades in the NFL? Do rhetorical questions make podcast introductions more interesting? Let's get some answers. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. I'm very excited to be with you here today. It's nice to be back from the bye. Last week's schedule threw me off a little bit. Not having Packers football on Sunday threw me off a little bit. Not having a podcast come out on Monday, again, threw me off the game a little bit. But we're back, we're ready to go, and uh, I hope you are too because it's a long sprint to the end of the season from here. Ten games for the Packers. Can they make the playoffs? We'll find out starting this Sunday against a real quality opponent. Don't want to talk so much about the Rams right now. I want to get to one headline off the field. Well, not so much off the field as semi-related to the field, Uh, but then talk about player acquisition for the Packers since we're coming up on the trade deadline next week. I think by the time this comes out, it'll be under 10 days to the deadline. So uh, that'll be interesting. It's always interesting to see what happens around the trade deadline each year. But first, before we get to the trades, we've got to talk about a brand new fullback in the building for the podcast, or for the Packers, and for the podcast, I suppose. He could be our fullback as well. Danny Vitale, not Vital, not Dick Vital Light. Danny Vitale, six foot one, two hundred thirty-nine pounds, went to Northwestern, was a teammate of Dean Lowry's, actually, while he was in Chicago. Sorry, Evanston. Um But uh, one of three Northwestern guys on the roster right now. He was a 2017 sixth-round pick in Tampa, played a little bit for the Browns as well. Interesting guy, I think, because he's listed as a fullback, but he's not really a fullback in the traditional sort of fullback sense. Let's take a look at his scouting report from NFL.com. Under his strengths portion, uh, that kind of gives you an idea of the sort of player that he is. Uh, utilized as the versatile quote-unquote super back position during his time at Northwestern, has shown ability to line up in the slot from behind center and all points in between. Runs better routes than many of the wideouts in this draft. Able to catch throws in traffic and take the hit. Shows no hesitation to stick his nose in the hole and into his intended target as a blocker. Generally solid radar as a blocker, consistently lands his strikes inside the framework of defenders team-oriented, and highly coachable leader. So think basically about Danny Vitale as a slightly different Lance Kendricks and, you know, doing those sorts of things. Maybe more of an H-back type guy with a little bit more of a focus on running back type things than fullback type things. Uh, real workout warrior at the Combine. Again, 6'1", 239, but ran a 4'640", did 30 reps on the bench, had a 38.5-inch vertical, Uh, His short shuttle and 20-yard, 60-yard shuttle time, excuse me, um, were very good. uh, Position group leading at times uh, for what that's worth. Uh, But this continues really a key trend for Brian Gutekunst. If you're going to be a fringe roster player, you'd better be an excellent athlete. And although he doesn't have eye-popping numbers just in a vacuum at the sort of position that he plays, Vitali is that kind of excellent athlete. So will he end up on the active roster? Probably not. It's hard to see a situation where he ends up going there unless the Packers have a couple injuries at tight end. Say Lance Kendricks goes down. I think this is the sort of guy you might want to bring along. But, you know, maybe you just give Rob Tanyan more snaps too. 
at any rate, he's an interesting guy to have in the building because of the variety of things that he does. Let's talk about trades. Closing in on the trade deadline and the landscape around the NFL as it pertains to trades seems to be changing just a little bit. This, I will admit, would have been a lot better topic to do three weeks ago, but I wanted to do it the Wednesday really before the deadline and not have to compete with uh, any Packers games or other topics that we might want to talk about, and I wanted it to live a little bit longer too. So I figured we'd do it right now, thinking that two notable names would still be potentially available. For instance, Earl Thomas and Amari Cooper. Well, Earl Thomas got hurt and Amari Cooper did in fact get traded, not to the Packers, but to the Dallas Cowboys. And how about the Raiders actually winning a trade for once? That, that first round pick for Amari Cooper was pretty wild. Uh, I think that is more than the Raiders could have hoped to get for him, but uh, turns out pretty good for Oakland. So good for them. Let's talk about trades generally, though, before we dive into Packers-specific stuff. I think there's reason to believe that we might be in something of a new era for trades, but you don't have to take my word for it. Let's turn to Kevin Clark from The Ringer. He wrote a piece published today um, titled, John Gruden has ushered in a golden age of dumb NFL trades, and we cannot thank him enough for it. I'm going to read you three paragraphs from Mr. Clark's piece right here beginning now. There's an old joke that says when you are being chased by a bear, you don't need to outrun the bear, just the person running alongside you. This is true in football. You do not need to be the smartest team in the league. You just have to find one team dumber than you and you'll get value. Gruden found it Monday with the Cowboys. In September, it was the Raiders and Gruden whom the Chicago Bears found willing to part with an elite pass rusher. Yahoo reported the Cowboys were essentially bidding against themselves at that price. In theory, Cooper is filling the void left by Des Bryant, who was never truly replaced as the team's top receiver. Bryant and Cooper were the only wide receivers last year to drop more than 13% of their passes. Carr has targeted Cooper just 32 times this season, possibly because Cooper does not camp out one yard from the line of scrimmage. This bad trade will not be an outlier. The Raiders clearly wanted to dump Cooper. Jay Glazer reported as much last week. But he also thought they wouldn't get a first-round pick and that they'd have to lower their asking price. Then came the Cowboys, a team that apparently did not care that Cooper is due for an extension as soon as this offseason. Cooper's years as a value contract are over, as he's set to make $13.9 million next year. There are not many ways to spin that as a good trade for the Cowboys. The more I look at the league, the more I think bad trades are the future. Glazer said over the weekend that the October 30 trade deadline will be notably active. We could be entering into a golden era of dumb trades. Here we break with Clark and circle back to our own analysis. I hope this is true. I hope we are entering an era of new dumb trades or even new smart trades because trades, I think, are inherently interesting. In some ways, I think trades are better than free agent signings because there's no lead up. Suddenly it's just boom, you got a trade. It's like getting an unexpected you know, gift or Christmas present or birthday present in the mail. Oh, hey, look, it's a trade. It just happened. And uh, you get something interesting to talk about just kind of out of the blue. It also gives us an opportunity to ex- explore the uh, the idea of the GM heat check, um, the idea that we talked about on the podcast or have talked about on the podcast a few times, that if you think you are a smart GM, you should be calling the people you consider dumb GMs at regular times uh, to see if there are any deals that they would like to do. Teams should be trying to take advantage of other teams. There shouldn't be gentlemen's agreements or whatever you want to call it 
in the NFL, you should be trying to screw over the other guy as often as you can. You should do that. It's good for your football team. This is a zero-sum game, and if the other team is beating or if the other team is winning, chances are you're losing. So you want to be on the winning side as often as you can. Trades are an opportunity to do that. So what goes into a trade? What do the Packers have to do or any any team have to do to sort things out if they want to make a trade? Well, I think there are three three things to consider. Um, you have to consider first the compensation for a trade, then the compensation after a trade, and then contract complications. First, the compensation for a trade. What are you willing to give up um, to get a player? And often, I think in the NFL, what you're looking at is perceived value versus actual value. Chances are, if you're trading for a player, you've got a pretty good idea the sort of player he is. You don't trade for players as projects in the NFL. That's really not how NFL trades tend to work. You don't trade for a guy thinking, okay, a year from now or two years from now, this guy could really be something. There's there's more of that in, in Major League Baseball for sure, but also the NBA. NFL trades don't really work that way. Uh, at least they haven't historically because the windows for careers are so much shorter. So you have to look at a guy's actual value, the player he is today, and think about the perceived value of the picks because more than likely you're going to be giving up picks that you're going to be sending out the door for this guy. But then you also have to consider if you might be in the line for having to do a little bit of additional compensation after the trade. Think of these situations where a guy wants to be traded because he's not happy with the contract. Well, in those situations, you're going to have to figure out his contract situation after that trade goes down. This is what the Bears had to do with Khalil Mack, and any team that traded for Khalil Mack would have had to do. Um, You have to think a big part of the deal going down was Khalil Mack feeling comfortable with the Bears that they would be a team that would be willing to give him a significant contract. Um, and I, I don't know if this was ever confirmed, but with how quickly the deal got done, I think there, there may have been, you know, this, it may have been a situation where the, the, the Raiders and had given the Bears the opportunity to speak with Mac's agent because that was a possible consideration leading up to that trade. So that's something you, you, you will have to consider. But then those contract complications, that's another thing that you have to consider going into a trade because trades play a little bit of havoc with your contract situation um, in terms of how it affects your cap. Uh, Jason Fitzgerald of the Sporting News wrote a nice piece kind of breaking down this issue. I'll quote a couple paragraphs here. Uh, Quote, in terms of salary cap impact, a trade is essentially the same as releasing a player. If a player is traded at the deadline, all future prorated money accelerates into the next season. For some teams, that takes certain players off the table if their signing bonuses and other prorated bonuses are large. In general, if a player's dead money charge in a given year will prevent him from being released the following year, it will also prevent him from being traded during the given season. The signing bonus also presents a major psychological barrier to trading. The sunk cost trap is something we all fall into in our daily lives. If you feel you've already paid a large amount of money for something that no longer does the job you expected, you still try to fix it and make it work because you paid so much. Imagine paying somebody $20 million in a given year for a five-year contract, and by the next year, 
sending the balance of that contract to another team. In essence, you're handing that team $16 million of your money in return for a third-round pick. A general manager looks bad in that scenario. End quote. Yeah, I would imagine the general manager looks bad in that scenario, especially if he's spending somebody else's money, which most general managers are, unless you're Jerry Jones. So that psychological barrier is not insignificant. And NFL teams, to a fault, believe they are smart enough and good enough to fix situations. Very few teams will just give up on a guy after a year or two and just move on unless he's, you know, like below a third round pick or so. Nobody is just like, yep, this guy can't play. We're going to move on. Um, everybody believes they can fix somebody. That's why quarterbacks get so many chances around the league, unless your name's Colin Kaepernick, I suppose. Because um, every every team believes they're, they're the team that can fix a player. So that nobody, everybody stays tied to that sunk cost, which is, again, something that we've talked about on this podcast before. So all that having been said, let's take a second and look at a few players that have been at least nominally tied to the Packers in terms of trade rumors. Um, there are four names here that have been connected to the Packers, as in I've seen people say um, the Packers should trade for blank um, in a situation other than just just a tweet. Um, so I've got four names here I want to go through. Le'Veon Bell, Patrick Peterson, Shane Ray, and Chandler Jones. Let's start with Le'Veon Bell. This one can be short because there's no reason that the Packers would ever want to trade for Le'Veon Bell. It would cost too much to get him and too much to keep him, and it just doesn't doesn't make sense. Look at it this way. Does Le'Veon Bell, doing the things that he does, take the Packers' offense to another level, other than the one it is right now? The Packers can't get the running backs they have enough carries. And there's still an argument to be made, even if Aaron Jones does need the ball more, that running the ball still isn't a super great idea for the Packers because it takes opportunities away from Aaron Rodgers. And even a struggling, injured Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball is still probably a better option for your offense than running the ball. Running back is already an extremely undervalued position, so I'm not sure why you would really want to zig against the market zag and decide, no, what we're going to do is give up two significant payments for Le'Veon Bell Um now, why why would you do that now? Maybe if this was 1998 instead of 2018, you would you could do something like that. But then again, I'm not sure you would then either. Um, everybody, I mean, all the evidence points to people just not thinking about running backs correctly then, as well as now. I mean, just because people are playing this way now doesn't mean it's how people shouldn't have been playing or, or it was it wouldn't have been a good strategy then. I think you see what I'm saying there, even if I'm not saying it super eloquently. So. To put a capper on that, Le'Veon Bell I don't think is going to get traded. The Packers shouldn't be a destination for him, even if he does, um, for the simple fact that it would be a, a really expensive to trade for him in terms of compensation, and it would cost a lot to keep him after the fact, too. And it would be a real shame to trade for a guy, uh, play him for six games or eight games or however many he ends up playing, and then you know letting him walk in the offseason. That wouldn't make sense either. So uh, firm no, I think, on Le'Veon Bell. Then there's Patrick Peterson, and I wanted to spend the bulk of our time today talking about Patrick Peterson because I think he's an interesting case. 
first because there's a couple different trade or a couple different obstacles when it comes to trading for a player as we've discussed you've got your initial compensation the compensation after the trade and then you know trying to make him fit onto your onto your team under the salary cap so let's look at those components the trade compensation is going to be painful especially after the Cowboys essentially nuked the trade market and said, you know what, we're going to give up a first-round pick for a guy that you shouldn't give up a first-round pick for and go from there. And I think anybody who makes a trade after that is going to have that trade in the back of their mind thinking, well, if they got a first-round pick for Amari Cooper, what should we be getting for the guy that we're trading now? And ask for more. I mean, I would, wouldn't you? But then there's the idea or the... The issues that come with with post-draft compensation, and this one is a lot smaller, I think, for Peterson than it is for some of the other people on this list. Peterson is still under contract for two more years after this season, relatively reasonable amounts for an elite-level cornerback, a multiple-time All-Pro, multiple-time Pro Bowler. In that landscape or in that category of corners, his contract is is not not unreasonable, and it's a, a lot more affordable for the Packers to deal with than it is um, for somebody like Khalil Mack. They they don't have to do another market setting deal for Patrick Peterson um, to have him in Green Bay. There is the the minor issue, <laughs> minor. I say that um, a couple minor uh, a couple smaller more secondary issues with getting a guy like Patrick Peterson onto your roster. First, do the Packers really need another corner? Um, in theory, I guess not. Uh, they, they're they not terrible at corner right now. It's probably the best position on their defense. Um, they're not great there yet. Uh, there's a not impossible situation where they could be great if these young defensive backs continue to improve. But it's never a bad idea in the NFL or any level of football to continue to strengthen positions of strength. You can lose depth so quickly uh, at any position in the NFL through just a couple injuries. I mean, look at the Packers' defensive line. A month ago, it was the, arguably the strongest position on defense, but now... Tyler Lancaster is getting regular snaps. Not super regular, but still, I think you take my meaning. But the Packers also have the consideration of having to fit Peterson under their cap. And this is, I think, a smaller obstacle than some some people might lead you to believe or some people might want you to believe. Um, because I don't think it's that big of an issue to fit him under your cap. If you have the chance to put an elite-level player on your team, you make it work from a cap perspective. That's pretty much the consideration there. Can we put Patrick Peterson on our team and do all the other aspects make sense, the compensation, the contract, stuff like that? Yes to all of those questions. Okay, we'll release who we need to, to release to get him on the, on the roster. That's, that's pretty much it. Um, if you can get a guy like that on your team, I think you, you probably make it work. It would have been the same sort of situation if the Packers had picked up Khalil Mack. They would have done what they had to do to get him on the roster and the cap situation sorted out. Andrew Brandt, the former Packers capologist and now a professional joke repeater for Monday Morning Quarterback, um, always said that you could make whatever contract you wanted to work, work. 
It's just a, a matter of putting up with pain at some point. And for somebody like Peterson to get him under the cap for this season, I'm not super worried about the future seasons because the Packers cap situation changes dramatically after this year. To get him on the roster this season, you just do what you have to do if Patrick Peterson coming to the Packers is something you want to do. So I don't think that's as big of a deal um, as I've had a few people tell me. And it's, I, I thought it was funny um, how all offseason, well, not all offseason, but for a couple of weeks this offseason, it was the conventional thinking was, oh, well, if you can get Khalil Mack, you got to go do it. If you can get Khalil Mack, you got you to make that trade and you figure it out. Well, now another trade has come up where the backers could theoretically get an elite level player. And everybody wants to sit down and, and work through this, uh, talk about the considerations, the contract. Oh, do we have room for him on the roster? Well, a whole bunch of you didn't want to do that before. Why do we want to do that now? I, that, that's funny to me. Um, there is the other aspect of this um, as to whether or not the Packers would actually be interested in trading for Peterson. And I think that's a more doubtful than probable sort of situation. Um, I, I just doesn't seem like a very Packers move. And for that matter, it doesn't seem like the Cardinals are particularly interested in, in moving on from Peterson. So if he was available and the Packers could put together a deal for him, which would probably involve at least one, perhaps two first-round picks, do you make the deal? I'm still probably a no on that. Um, but it, it's not impossible. And uh, there are a lot of aspects of this that I think make sense. Let's move on. Uh, two pass rushers, and then I think there is sort of an archetype of a guy that the Packers could trade for. Um, Shane Ray is a name that come a, come a, came up, trying to get come and came together into the same word. That doesn't really work. His name was one that came up regularly in the offseason. Well, it's pretty much died down now that he only has one sack and has been hurt all this year, which is kind of what we said was the situation with him in his career to date and my, why you might not be interested in, in trading for him in the first place. Well, um, there are some things to recommend a Shane Ray sort of trade. The, you know, he is then that, that expiring contract slash fifth year option sort of territory, probably relatively low compensation, although that changes a little bit with him being hurt. And he'll probably be fairly affordable in the future. But again, who knows? And do you really want to trade for a guy that you might be able to just pick up in the offseason anyway? Finally, let's talk about Chandler Jones. This is a name that I feel like we have to address because Pete Doherty actually brought this up in an, an actual column at PackersNews.com. Presumably it got printed in an actual newspaper, although who really cares anymore? Um, he floated the name Chandler Jones because he thought he was the sort of guy that the Packers could fit into their roster relatively easily. Well, they certainly have need for him, but that gets to be a, an interesting question when you talk about all of the levels of compensation. Trade compensation is probably going to be a no. It's it's going to be difficult to get Chandler Jones, and there's already a, a trade in place as a guideline for trading for Chandler Jones. It's the trade that brought him to Arizona. The New England Patriots, in a rare, uncharacteristic bad move, I think, for them. I don't think anybody would argue this was a good move for the Patriots, uh, even at the time, and certainly since it has not turned out to be great. Uh, the Patriots traded Jones to the Arizona Cardinals in March of 2016 for guard Jonathan Cooper and a second round pick in the 2016 draft. So you're getting a starting caliber player and a relatively high pick. For the Packers, what is that? What is that? 
Um, if you go with a guard, it's going to be Lane Taylor. Uh, plus a two and probably another conditional pick in there. That seems pretty expensive. Um, but, you know, Chandler Jones is a pretty good player, too. But post-trade, things get pretty interesting for the Packers and anybody who would want to trade for Chandler Jones because his cap hits for the next three years are, well, they're they're significant. He's got a cap figure of $15.5 million this year, 19.5 next year, 19 the, million, the year after that, and 18.5 the year after that for his age 31 season. So for that reason alone, things get a little bit hairy if you're in the market to trade for Chandler Jones. That's a lot of money to fit under your cap for a guy who's a very good pass rusher, but not somebody in the, probably not in the neighborhood of Khalil Mack. Uh, Not that good, but certainly pretty good. That all having been said, Arizona could be a good franchise to target for trades because of where they are uh, in their franchise life cycle right now. Let's put it that way. Much like the Raiders, the Cardinals are in a position where they have to rebuild a little bit. Sure, they've got the rookie quarterback on the rookie QB contract scale, but just looking at that team, they're a ways away. And uh, if they're looking to sell, this might be a situation where they could maybe rebuild a little bit quicker. If they get rid of some of these guys that are taking up some cap space, like Jones, and add some draft picks, who knows how much faster that rebuild could come along. It's at least something to think about, and that brings me to the next point that I'd like to make here. Uh, What kind of trade should the Packers pursue? Well, I think there's a pretty good archetype out there. Packers Wire sort of floated this idea, and I want to expand it a little bit. They proposed um, on their blog today that the Packers should trade for Shaquille Barrett, an outside linebacker, edge rusher type for the Denver Broncos. Here's what they wrote. Two paragraphs, real quick. Former undrafted free agent, Barrett has developed into a valuable rotational pass rusher for the Broncos, but he's buried behind Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and currently signed to only a one-year deal. Barrett's expiring contract makes him a prime trade target at the deadline, and if he's available, the Packers should inquire with John Elway about a promising young player who could inject some much-needed life into Mike Pettin's edge-rushing group, end quote. So, I think the Packers, if they are looking to make a trade, are bashed off targeting players who are at surplus positions on other teams. There are position groups at, I would say, probably virtually every team in the league like this, For instance, the Packers are pretty loaded at corner. They've got a lot of bodies there, a lot of relatively capable guys. If that's true for the Packers, certainly it's true for other teams around the league. And if one of those teams' positions where they have surplus happens to align with a position of need for the Packers, that's where I think a deal could be worked out. You could probably pick off a rotational pass rusher like Shaquille Barrett or somebody else, maybe a safety maybe something along those lines, from another team for the right offer. Heck, maybe the Packers even look to upgrade at guard, although I think offensive line is a pretty well-explored market around the league. So bear that in mind. But if you are hoping for the Packers to make a trade, that's, I think, the sort of trade that you should be looking for. Find those positions where there's a little bit of surplus and meet a need for that team. Say you've got a a couple extra guys or one extra guy who you can't use there. Well, we're willing to give up a draft pick, maybe a four or a five or whatever, 
to make to take that guy off your hands for you. It's a win-win for both sides. And if you're looking to make a trade, approaching someone from the aspect of solving a problem for them is a way to do that. While I've got you here, I want to talk for just a split second about the uh, about the Rams game coming up this weekend. In looking at games, one thing that's been helpful for me is to find games from the past that seem to be a good sort of comparison for a game that we're looking at here. We did it a couple weeks ago with the Packers playing on, on national TV, uh, sitting at 3-2-1 and one compared to 3-2 and two from a couple years ago and landed on the 2012 Houston Texans game, which the Packers won and Aaron Rodgers was great and all that. For this week... Did a little bit of research, did a little bit of soul searching, you know, took a long walk, listened to Kansas, you know, had a a montage there and landed on the 2015 Packers Cardinals game late in the season. That was a rough one. Uh, But I think there are some good comparisons between the Rams today and the Cardinals that year. The 2015 Cardinals were good and they did what they did that year, based in part on a, a very strong defense, a strong pass rush, and an offense with a limited but relatively mistake-free quarterback and a creative play caller. Bruce Arians was a very, very good play caller for the, for the Cardinals. Carson Palmer was not the physical talent late in his career that he was at the start of his career, but he was a smart quarterback who didn't make mistakes. And the Cardinals rode that to a near... MVP level season for Palmer. Well, fast forward three years, four years, whatever, and the Rams are much the same. They've got a strong defense led by a very strong pass rush. They've got, you know, Ndamukong Sue and Aaron Donald up front leading the way for them there. And then you've got a world-class play caller in Sean McVay and a quarterback who's just not making a lot of mistakes. Sure, the interception numbers are at time a little bit higher than you'd like from Jared Goff, but He has developed into a quarterback who doesn't make it easy for opposing teams just because he doesn't make mistakes all that often. And if you'll remember, that game did not turn out particularly well for the Packers. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen on Sunday, but I'm saying the comparisons are there. Maybe the Packers play a little bit better than we think. Maybe they keep it within that eight and a half point spread like the the betters are saying. Who knows? But the signs from at least relatively recent history wouldn't put the Packers in a super good position for this one on Sunday. We'll see. That's all I've got for you on this particular episode. We will be back on Friday for a preview. You can find us, as you always do, at thepowersweep.com and on Facebook and on Twitter. You know how to do it from, you know, all the other times that I've said that. Never hesitate to reach out via email as well. Uh, ThePowerSweep1959 at gmail.com is the best way to find us there. Uh, I did have an interesting conversation with a listener via email this week, so uh, never hesitate again to reach out. Who knows what sort of lifelong friendship we could establish. If you'd like to support us, you may do so at patreon.com slash thepowersweep or by clicking the store link on thepowersweep.com that'll get you to our fabulous Teespring store with all sorts of great stuff there. 
But as always, the best way to support us is by leaving us an absolutely free review on iTunes or your podcast listening platform of choice. It helps more people find the show. We do love to hear from you. Any feedback you gives us, give us helps make this entire operation better. It helps all of us to become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I am John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.